Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. (laughs) Thank you. Elijah was telling me this morning that he wanted to preach, but he would not come up here with me. So... (laughs) I was, I was going to let him preach. <laughs> yeah. Elijah, you sure, buddy? <laughs> All right. That's embarrassing enough. That's, uh, <laughs> let's pray and we'll dive into this passage of Scripture. Lord, we want to thank you for everything you do. We want to thank you for being so willing to meet us in this place. Lord, we don't deserve you and we don't deserve your word. We don't deserve to seek your wisdom, your knowledge. So God, we thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. This morning we ask that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, minds that understand what you have to teach us this morning. And Lord, through the proclamation of your word, please, please, please draw us closer to yourself and conform us more to the image of your Son. We love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, This is Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Those of you who don't hate Valentine's Day, (laughs) Ken. (laughs) So, so so, so, so happy Valentine's Day to everyone, to those uh, whose spouses have passed on. Uh, Happy Valentine's Day to you and your spouse. And, uh, and to those who are not married and have not been married, uh, happy Friendship Day to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, thank the Lord for giving us a reason to celebrate, though it is kind of odd that we celebrate romantic love on a day in which we should commemorate the martyrdom of St. Valentine. 
um, who was martyred for the faith. Isn't it interesting how how things and days transform into a, into a more human-centered kind of kind of thing? And uh, today we are talking about the love of God because we talk about the love of God every Sunday. Um, do you think it's possible for us to know God? Let me throw that question out there. Is it is it possible for us to know God? Uh, I know we can know about Him. Uh, we can know about His mercy and His love, and we know about uh, what He has done in history because we have the text before us, and we know about Jesus Christ, and we know about doctrine. We know about Christ as the Son of God. We know about Christ as the one who died to forgive the sin of the elect, and we know about uh, the Holy Spirit who indwells us. But do you really know God in His essence, His, his personhood? Um, now we're getting at the nature of knowledge, uh, what it means to know a person, uh, what it means to know, in, in the words of Katie's uh, father, and what it means to know stuff and things. Um, we're getting at what it means to know, uh, which is an area of theology and philosophy is called epistemology, the, the thinking about thought, <laughs> you know, knowing about knowledge. Um, and Paul gets at that in today's text, which is very interesting, and he uh, contrasts the knowledge or wisdom of the world with the knowledge or wisdom of, of God. And today we're going to discover what the difference is, and we're going to see why it is that Yes, we can actually know God. It's possible to actually know God and to know the gospel, uh, not merely know about God and know about the gospel. Uh, not merely to read the Bible, but to, but to actually have the Bible penetrate us, the Word of God penetrate us uh, between our bone and marrow and soul and spirit. Paul says this is, this is possible, and this is the type of knowledge that Christians pursue over and against all forms of worldly knowledge. This is the knowledge the people of God pursue. We're going to see this text in three parts. Verses 6 through 9, we're going to see what Paul refers to as the mystery of the faith. Verses 10 through 13, we're going to see the spirit of that mystery. In verses 14 through 16, we're, we're basically going to see Paul summarize his epistemology, the epistemology of the Spirit. Verse 6, yet, yet, meaning he's contrasting this against something he has already said. Uh, what has Paul already claimed in 1 Corinthians? Uh, he is writing 1 Corinthians uh, because the church at Corinth is divided. There are divisions over practice, over doctrine, um, disagreements about the gifts of the Spirit, disagreements about who God is and what God is, is doing. Uh, there are people in the church at Corinth who are given over to Hellenistic philosophy and idolatrizing Hellenistic philosophy, the politics of the time, the religion of the time, and this, this puffing up of worldly knowledge, it leads to division in the local church. We, we have no idea what that's like in today's age, do we? Um, yes, we do. Uh, we know exactly what that is like. Knowledge puffs up, and when we find our identity in our, 
our knowledge, our factual informational knowledge, it creates division when we find our identity in the way we think or what we know about the political atmosphere. It causes division in the church. Uh, when we find our identity in all of those doctrines that should be discussed, but none of them idolatrized, we create division in the church. So Paul is addressing this division, division that is built on worldly wisdom. And as he's addressing this division, as he's trying to build the church up to maturity, which leads to unity, we find that in chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says, I, I have determined to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. Not that Paul was ignorant of politics in the first century, Not that Paul is ignorant of religions present in the first century. Not that Paul is ignorant of everything going on in Corinth. No, he he is informed. He's not ignorant concerning philosophy. Paul is trained in Hellenistic philosophy. In fact, in in a moment, we're going to see how he uses the argumentation method of Hellenistic philosophy to drive his point home. But none of those things are the content of his message. He determines to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. And where he uses those other things, the other stuff, he uses it as a platform upon which to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ and Christ crucified, so that people might know Christ. And Christ is the content of Paul's message. So he says, I determined to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified, yet... Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. I want to notice something here in verse 6. He says, look, I've determined to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. Yet I am going to speak a wisdom to you. Yet I, I do want you to know the depth of something. But this is not a, a knowledge about the things of the world. There's not a wisdom concerning the things of the world. It's like politics and human-centered religion. And those doctrines, we, we really love to say that we find the faith upon, even though we, we know it's founded only upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't have anything to do with that. I'm not going to sit here and philosophize to you. But I do want you to have a depth of knowledge, and I do want you to have a depth of wisdom concerning one thing, And that one thing is the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. Look, once we accept the gospel, and once the gospel infects our hearts and infects our lives and draws us to Christ, and once it is effective in our lives, I want you to know that that simple gospel message is not where we stop as Christians. There is a maturity that goes beyond the the basic gospel message and basic gospel invitation. And one of the things I I think has rendered the American church nearly ineffective is that at one point evangelism became about proclaiming the basic gospel message and the depths of the depths of doctrine biblical doctrine not just any doctrine it was it was neglected and it was forsaken uh, with the intention of making sure Christians were un- united 
and making sure unbelievers came into the faith. And then, uh, under this model of ministry, millions of Christians in the United States experienced a shallow sort of revival and, and came into the church, a whole generation of Christians, and there was no depth of knowledge from Sunday to Sunday. You heard the same gospel message presented over and over again with the intention of drawing more people to Christ, and the Christians who already came to Christ were, were left to, to immaturity, to spiritual shallowness. And Paul is saying here, no, God is deeper than the basic gospel message. And and the gospel continues to get deeper and deeper and deeper the the more you know about it. And that's what we're talking about now, knowing about something. The The more you learn, like, I want you to grow into maturity. So those who have accepted the gospel, those who are mature, we're going to speak a greater depth of wisdom. This is Paul's heart, a greater depth of knowledge, not worldly knowledge, but godly knowledge, a depth of knowledge concerning who Christ is and what Christ is doing. He wants his audience to be mature, and it's this maturity, the depth of doctrine Paul claims leads to unity in the church, not shallow Christianity, which tends to create more division because people go in all sorts of different directions, but the depth of knowledge about what the Scriptures say, the whole counsel of Scripture, that is what Paul wants the Corinthians to know. That is what God wants us to know because we have been handed the same Scriptures. Those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, or of the rulers of this age, which would include the nations of the world, and the governments of the world. This knowledge that Paul is sharing, is it's not their knowledge. You understand? Any, any government in the world, any nation in the world, is going to fall short of the knowledge of God, the knowledge that God wants us to have and to consider and to, and to behold. The only one who presents this knowledge is God, not the nations, not the people of this age or the philosophies of this age, but God. In fact, he says, this age and the rulers of this age, they're passing away. I want us to grab hold of, how many things do we make the content of our knowledge, the focus of our knowledge and the focus of our wisdom? And what the, I mean, the politically charged atmosphere we find ourselves in, um, it is so easy to make Politics, especially in the United States, right? That's that's an easy focus. That's an easy thing to look at, and that's ever, that's all we're looking at. And it's like all of our knowledge and all of our wisdom now is based on conspiracy movements, whether true or false, right? We 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 buy into that, and we we move with with that. And here, Paul drops a drops a bomb, right? The religions of the world are the same thing. Like, we get caught up in, in our religion, in our traditions, whether biblical or not. I, I like my traditions. I'm sure you like yours. It's not terrible. But we find our identity in that. In religious ritual. The knowledge of this age. And Paul here says... This, this age is going to be gone. It's going to pass away. The rulers of this age. President Biden, one day he's going to die and none of that's going to matter anymore. 
How about that? Our congressmen and women will one day perish, and at that point, their opinions won't matter anymore. The governor and everyone else, kings of other nations, they will die, and their knowledge will perish with them. Why is that the knowledge and the wisdom that we invest so much of our time and money in? Years down the road, it dies and another generation rises up. You want to know a cold, hard truth, brothers and sisters. And I've been thinking about this, like what kind of legacy do I want to leave for my son and hopefully other children, right? And it can't be a legacy that's based on me because one day... One day my generation is going to perish, die, and everything that we've done in the world will die with us and the, the next generation will be there. And then one day their generation will die and the next generation will be there. Nothing in a generation that is particular to that generation, none of it survives. Do you understand? And like I was like looking at this passage of Scripture, I'm like, God, what... Like, what is it you want us to pull from, from this? Like, from this revelation? Like, we, all, we know that we're going to die. Like, we know up here we're going to die. We know up here every generation passes away. Yet we treat our knowledge and our pursuit of knowledge and our pursuit of, of wisdom like, like that's going to make a forever difference. A thousand years from now, nobody's going to know who Andrew Cannon was. Nobody's going to to know Andrew Cannon's theology. It's not going to be that important. (laughs) Why why do we invest in that, the things that will perish? As Christians, we are given something that is imperishable. And that's that's the whole person of God. He gave himself to us. That's what he did with the cross. That's what he did in Jesus, right? He, he gave himself to us. The, the imperishable Christ. And I, I look around at the world, and y'all, my, my, heart, my heart breaks because of what I see. And it's not necessarily the politics that are just completely devastating me, right? I trust that God is sovereign and He is in control of everything. So that that doesn't devastate me so much. No, what does devastate me is to see people who profess to be Christians making the content of their knowledge and wisdom the things of the world rather than the the things of Christ. They're, They're trading the perishable for the imperishable. That's why currently in the United States of, of America, people prioritize like, like jobs and, and school and sports athletics over the church gathering because we desire more the, the things of the world, the knowledge of the world, the wisdom of the world than we do a knowledge about who, who Christ is and what Christ is doing. We have traded the perishable for the imperishable. All of that other stuff will pass away. The most important knowledge we can pursue is the knowledge about who Christ is and what Christ is doing. Like this meeting that, that we are in this morning, this, the Sunday morning gathering, this is the, the most important meeting for anyone because this is where we're receiving what is imperishable as opposed to what is perishable. All the other stuff of the, of the world This is the the most important stuff, God and His work. This this is the most important investment we can make in life. Because it is imperishable. 
This is the knowledge that will not pass away. This is what Paul wants the Corinthians to know. Verse 7, But we speak, instead of what is passing away, we speak God's wisdom in a, in a mystery. Hmm. And the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Uh, how can you speak God's wisdom if it is a mystery, Paul? That's the question I want to ask. If it is a mystery, how can you speak it? <laughs> if it is hidden, how can you reveal it, Paul? That's the question I have for Paul in this passage. And I think he answers. Does anyone in here know what the mystery of the faith is? Anytime we read about the mystery of the faith in, in the New Testament, do you know what it is? It is the power of God. Anytime, especially Paul writes about the mystery of the faith, he's referring to the gospel. You can see that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. He's, he says, oh, here's the mystery, it's the gospel. <laughs> And this mystery is hidden. Now, now, Paul, he spends quite a few pages. He writes quite a few words in order to argue against a theological group in his time, a, a, group, a group he basically refers to as heretical, called the Gnostics. The Gnostics believe that they received secret revelations from God. The Gnostics believed that knowledge was hidden and you had to access it. You had to access it by denying everything of the flesh. All of those things that God gave us to enjoy. Deny that. Deny the body. Everything that's material is evil. Only the spiritual is good. And, and that led to like self-abuse. Like They would whip themselves in order to deny the flesh and become more spiritual people so they could receive the secret knowledge of God. Um, I don't think Paul's getting at that here. Uh, Paul, he spends quite a few pages and, and words, expends some time writing his letters against the Gnostic position. Uh, Paul is not a Gnostic that he would think the gospel is hidden, that knowledge is secret. No, so what Paul is referring to here cannot be hidden or secret or a mystery in the sense that it is not available. Um, we, we believe that the gospel, which is the mystery of the faith, the gospel goes out to all nations. Uh, we believe all people are invited to partake with Christ, and Paul, Paul does too. So the gospel is not hidden such that it is not available. Instead, I think it is, it is hidden such that not everyone has ears to hear. The gospel goes out... That's God's common grace. Everybody can know about the gospel. Everyone can know about God. Everyone can be spiritual. That's nothing special. That's, that's every, we were created that way. But the, the special revelation of God is this, this thing that not everybody has ears to hear. And if I, if I have ears to hear and, and eyes to see then I can understand the gospel and I accept the gospel. Um, that is what Paul means when he refers to the gospel as the mystery of the faith. It's available to everyone. 
but not everyone can understand or accept it. It is hidden to some. It was hidden wisdom. And God, still in verse 7 here, and God predestined this wisdom before the ages to our glory. There are some things Paul writes that I'm not quite comfortable with, and this is one of those. (laughs) To our glory. Wait a minute. I I firmly believe in the doctrine, (laughs) the foundation, the principle of of our faith, soli deo gloria, (laughs) to to God alone be the glory. Yet Paul writes here that God predestined before the ages. He predestined the gospel before the ages for our glory. Well, what does it mean that God predestined the gospel before the ages? How is the gospel predestined before the ages? Does that make sense? Now, this is a something that uh, covenantal theologians refer to as the, the covenant of redemption. And this really is a, a beautiful idea. Like before the foundation of the world, before the ages, before the, before the ages of, of the world could be counted in any meaningful way, before the foundation of the world, the gospel message itself was predestined. Before people were even created, God, with his, with his whole heart, crafted the gospel message. Knew that humanity was going to fall in the garden. And that's the whole purpose of the law, right? To reveal our shortcomings. To reveal the depravity of humankind. And before the ages predestined the gospel message, like that was his only plan or something. Like, like God knows what he's doing. Like he didn't, I don't know, mess up somewhere along the way and oops, humanity fell and now we have to try and recover. No, I don't think, no, um, because God is perfect and his, his whole design for everything is perfect. God doesn't mess up. It's, his design is intentional, purposeful. So he predestined the gospel before the ages. What about this? To our glory. The, the glory of those who have ears to hear. The glory of those who who believe the gospel, who know the gospel, not just know about the gospel, to our glory. Let's look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4-8, through 8, and let me read this again for us. Part of his introduction, Paul wrote, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you in Jesus Christ, that in everything you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ, what is that? The Gospel. Even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end. Blameless. In the day of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Well, upon a person's conversion, the heart is regenerated, 
someone is converted to Christ, they, they believe upon Christ, believe upon the gospel, and the gospel is the confirmation of someone's salvation. If they understand the gospel and they can communicate the gospel in a meaningful way, that is a confirmation of someone's salvation, a, a proper understanding and transmission of the gospel message. But at that moment, Christians are not perfect. <laughs> okay? We're not just... A conversion, okay, Jesus, I believe in you, and all of a sudden it's like a halo around the head, and n- no. Um, there's this confirming to the end as well. And doctrine we refer to as the perseverance of the saints. Not, not merely preservation, it's not just security of salvation, like, okay, God saved you, you don't have to worry, you know, whatever, uh, and at the end, you're saved, right? Um, no, it's not only merely the security of salvation, it's actually perseverance of the saints. Like, God, when He saves a person, He begins a good work in that person, and He is faithful to bring that work to completion. The work He started in is He brings it to completion. He doesn't just leave us in our current state and then at the end, okay, yep, you're admitted. And No, He actually completes us, matures us. which is what, That's Paul's goal, writing 1 Corinthians here. And look, in chapter 1, verse 8, confirming you to the end means that in the end, someone will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Such that when we appear before the Christ of glory, He he will not say to us, okay, there's still, still some stuff you need to work on. In the judgment and in the resurrection, there will be nothing left to correct. Christ is faithful to deliver us blameless. Which means the judgment for Christians... It's not a judgment concerning everything we did wrong. It's, it's Christ's simple statement for those who are in Him, those whom He has completed. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. To our glory. And if Christ is the one to whom glory belongs, and we are His brothers and sisters and mothers as he teaches in the gospels we we are co-heirs with him in that glory but to say that all of those who are saved will one day also be glorified with christ that is biblical teaching not that the glory ever belongs to us but that we are glorified with christ this is what we talk about when we talk about receiving a glorified body and a glorified Brain and a glorified, a glorified mind with Christ forever in the resurrection, perfected. Christ overcomes our depravity. Christ overcomes our our essential nature, and He overcomes our wickedness and our and our wretchedness and our wreckedness could also fall in. I don't know. That's not a word. Whatever. Um, but but Christ overcomes that. He overcomes all of that through His work on the cross and in His, in his calling, His particular calling to, to those He has chosen to give ears to hear and eyes to see. And we accept the gospel. And at the moment of our conversion, glorification is promised. We, we can't not get there because Christ has promised it. Oh, glorious day. To think, to think that a, a sinner 
like me, will be able to partake of the glory of Christ such that it will also be seen as my glory because I am a co-heir with Christ. How, how amazing is that? Wow. Verse 8. The wisdom, this mystery of God, the gospel, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. <laughs> what? Why didn't they understand it? Well, because it don't have ears to hear, eyes to see. Everyone is exposed to the gospel in, in many ways. And technology today even makes that more prominent, right? It's the most important message that could fall in our ears. Yet, the rulers of this age have not understood it. It doesn't say they don't hear it. It doesn't say that it's not clear, plain, perspicuous. It says that they don't understand it. No matter how clearly the gospel is presented, they don't understand it. And then you have people like, you have people like the gospel is never clearly presented to them. <laughs> and, and maybe you're one of those people like you try to share the gospel and it comes out a little bit like this. Blah, 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 blah. And you feel like that's what people are hearing. Man, I did a terrible job sharing the gospel. Yet, there are people who understand even though we didn't present the gospel very well and they come to Christ. Like, what is that? And people sincerely come to Christ in like the most heretical church you can think of. And people still sincerely come to Christ. Like, how is that possible? Because they understood the gospel. And some people who hear the gospel clearly have not understood the gospel. For, still verse 8, for if they had understood it, the gospel they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Ouch. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of a man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. The things that we cannot seek. The things that by our nature we cannot understand. Paul here referring to the gospel. Those are the things God has prepared for those who are His, who love Him. And Paul here is quoting Isaiah chapter 64, verses 4 through 9. Well, really, I think just verse 4. But I want to read verses 4 through 9 for us. As the prophet Isaiah. For from days of old, they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you. All these other gods are just made up, in other words. Like, uh, you're the only one whose work is evident. Who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. The God who actually intercedes for his people. We see it through history with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Joshua, the God who intercedes with all the judges. You, God, you meet him who rejoices in doing righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. Who meets who? You, God, meet him. He can't come to you. He can't can't know you. You meet Him. 
Behold, you were angry, for we sinned. We continued in them a long time. The sins, we continued in them a long time. And shall we be saved, God? For all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags or a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls on your name. Mm. Who arouses himself to take hold of you. No one. For you have hidden your face from us. And have delivered us into the power of our iniquities. The gospel is hidden. All we know is what we know. All we know is what we can see, what we can search out. And you, Lord, have handed us over to our iniquities. We can't find you. We can't seek you out. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are potter. This is a lot of faith here, Isaiah placed in God. No one seeks after you. We can't search you out. You're the potter. We're the clay. Your will be done. Like, what a confession. And all of us are the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Behold, look now, all of us are your people. And despite Israel's sin, and despite Israel's wretchedness, despite Israel's depravity, utter inability to seek after God, Israel was still God's people because because God said so, because of God's will, because God searched Israel out. And here, here Paul is applying the same idea to the New Testament church, to the local church, to the, to the church at Corinth, which is apparently lost in all kinds of sin, right? Or at least given over to all kinds of sin, her own iniquities, division caused by the puffing up of of, of knowledge. I can't stress enough. How many of you were hit hard by that first part of the sermon? Because, yeah, me. Um, I am. And Paul's not pulling any punches here. And I can't stress the importance of as much as we can trying to know more about God. And honestly, you, you need more than a sermon to, to know. And you need more than just reading the Bible. And this, is, this really is the reason God has given the church so that we might stimulate one another on to greater love and good deeds and on to greater maturity. And that's where it happens, is in, yes, the teaching, in the teaching is so essential, but without the fellowship, we can't, can't get, the, we don't become more mature, right? And if all, if all we are doing is sitting in church and listening to a sermon, we're not going to benefit any more than watching videos on YouTube, right? I mean, we need... We need real discipleship, real community. And the sermon plays an essential role in that. But understand, this, this, is, 
this is the starting point. We actually need the fellowship to, to build one another up, spur one another on to maturity in the, in the faith. And that's what it means to be a member of a church, right? And not just to go to church, but that be the church. Which, that's what Paul's getting at here. We, we want this depth of knowledge. But knowing about God isn't enough, is it? All that will provide plenty of knowledge about God. But even that's not enough. If our, if our knowledge is merely about God or about the gospel, that will perish when we die. Uh, it's scary for some Christians to hear, I think. Because the entire Christian faith is about some kind of intellectual pursuit. How can we go beyond just knowing about God? <laughs> how, how is that even possible? <laughs> Verses 10 through 13. The spirit of the mystery, or now we can say the spirit of the gospel. For to us, God revealed them, the, the mysteries of the faith, the mystery of the gospel, through the spirit. It's not something that I just had the capability of knowing. I can know about stuff. It's not something I just had the capability of, of knowing. But God revealed them through the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depth of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man? And this is where we see the Hellenistic philosophy, Paul's, Paul's philosophical training creep in, right? For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of, of God. Brother, I love you. I want you to know that before I say this. <laughs> but I can't know you. Not, not like Paul is talking about here. And I can know, I can know about you. I can, I can know your mannerisms, and and I can, I can guess with reasonable accuracy the emotions that you seem to be feeling. I, I can see it on your face, and and I can see. I can see it when you're in pain, and I, I can see it when you're happy and when you're having a good time, and, and, and I can hear you speak, and I, can, and I can kind of reasonably guess the way that you reason up here, the, the way that you think. And when we know those things about a person, we say, I know you. We can see somebody's trustworthy or not, and we can say, I know you, whether in a negative or positive way. <laughs> right? No, I know him. You know. <laughs> yeah, I know him. He's trustworthy. Go ahead. But knowing the essence of a person, I, I, don't, I don't really know your heart. I can't. Just, I'm, I'm limited. I'm a different person than you. I can't know your heart, and I can't really know your mind. Well, we can't even read somebody's mind, aren't you thankful? We can't even read somebody's mind, let alone like know it. And the closest I get to, to really essentially knowing anyone else is my wife. 
through the covenant of marriage, through the, the, through the becoming of one flesh, one person. That's the closest I, I can get to really knowing someone's essence. And I think God gave the marriage relationship to, sh- to show us this. Like, like I, I know my wife better than I know anyone else because of the marriage covenant. But still, when it comes to like e- essential nature, the essentially knowing someone, the only person I could possibly know in that way is me. Well, doesn't that make the universe a lonely place? And here Paul says, look, that's true about you. What makes you think if you can't, like this is brilliant, what makes you think if you can't even know another person's soul, spirit, mind, heart, if you can't know another, what makes you think you can know God that way? Okay. Well, again, Paul is knocking the Corinthians off their high horse first. Like, that's one of his goals, and he really is he's starting to do that here. What makes you think you can know? Only God can know God. Only God can search His own depths. Only the Spirit of God can do this. No one knows God except God. Now, we, Christians, those who believe, those for whom the gospel is effective. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know, not just know about, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Again, the gospel is available to everyone. Here, Paul makes it known, but only those who have the Spirit of God can actually know, like really understand the God's essential being. And the only way we can know that is because God actually puts His Spirit, His Spirit, which is the only thing that can know Him, He actually puts His Spirit in the believer. Like, this is mind-blowing and earth-shattering and heart-rocking, okay? This is cool. So when we ask, can we know God? The answer is yes, but it's a qualified yes only if the Holy Spirit is within us, causing us to know God. John, who wrote the Gospel of John, the Gospel writer, in John chapter 3, quoted Jesus as saying crazy things like in order to even see the kingdom of heaven you must be born again of the spirit like that's the teaching without this, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit we can't know God we can know about him but we can't know him but if we have the spirit we, we can know God's essential being and we can know the gospel Verse 13, which things we also speak. Paul can teach this, he can speak this, because he has the Spirit. You can't, you can't teach who God is without the Spirit. Eh, you can teach some academic lesson from the Bible, a history lesson or something like that, sure. You can't teach God without the Holy Spirit. We speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, 
but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with the Spirit enlivens within us, causes us to know through the, the, through the hearing of, of God's Word with spiritual words. The Holy Spirit's ministry is a ministry of causing the work of God to be effective in our hearts and minds and and upon our lips. Without the Holy Spirit, none of this is possible. We don't understand the gospel. We don't care about the gospel. We don't care about church. (laughs) The whole ministry of the church depends on the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit isn't moving and working, the church is dead. Because the words are human knowledge, human wisdom. And this is the difference between someone who knows about God and someone who knows God. The difference is the Holy Spirit within. And do you know what this means? Consider all of our human relationships. And I, another person can't remove his or her spirit and place that spirit within me so that I can essentially know that other person. That is, that is impossible. One, because people are not omnipresent, right? So my spirit can only be in me. But God places his spirit in us, which means I can actually know God better than I can know any person. And I think God designed it that way on purpose. I, I, can, I can know Him in His essential nature. But it's not just knowing about Him. That's, that's good, and we need to know as much about Him as possible, but the more we know about Him, it should be the case that we also know Him more. And our goal is to know Him fully in His essential nature just as we are fully known. Y'all, we will never know everything about God but we can know Him fully, relationally. We can know Him fully, just as we are fully known by Him. And that's the closest relationship with any being we will ever have if we are in relationship with God. And it's that relationship that actually empowers us and enables us to live in grace-based relationships with other people. Because we have the Holy Spirit. And Paul calls this having the mind of Christ. (laughs) Ever wonder what it means to have the mind of Christ? This is it. Not that everything we think is exactly like Christ, or not like He possesses us and takes us over, and all of a sudden, like, my individuality is just gone. It's, no, we have the Holy Spirit. And Christ is conforming through the Holy Spirit our hearts and our minds so that we are conformed to His Image, Not so that we become Him, but so we are conformed to His image. Again, He is redeeming us from the noetic effects of sin, original sin. The noetic effects, the effects upon the human brain, upon our knowledge. The epistemological effects of sin. So that we can know, rather than just know about. And through the Spirit, He is actually creating for us a better condition than humanity had before the fall, than Adam and Eve had. Because we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and we can know God and not merely know about Him like this was all part of His plan from the beginning to create this state of affairs for 
the new heavens and earth. This is awesome. Verses 14 through 16, Paul summarizes his epistemology of the Spirit. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why does he not accept the things of the Spirit of God? Well, they are foolishness to him, and he cannot. This is a statement of ability. He cannot understand them. Why? He has not the Spirit. These things are spiritually appraised, considered, examined. But he who is spiritual appraises all things. There we see that it is not wrong for Christians to know about politics or form opinions about politics. That's not wrong. We appraise all things. It's not wrong for us to know about the religions of the world. We appraise all things. It's not wrong for us to know philosophy and science. By the way, I really love physics. If you ever just want to have a conversation about physics, please come talk to me. I love physics. (laughs) Everybody's like, huh, no. (laughs) We appraise all things. Yet he himself is appraised by no one. Let me rephrase this for you. The knowledge of the world is a good slave, terrible master. I think I said that last week. It's a good slave, a terrible master. We are to have the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ. Godly wisdom. That is our content. It is imperishable Verse 16, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? (laughs) Uh, No, you can't instruct God. God is the one who instructs you. But we, we have the mind of Christ. There it is. Meaning, we are instructed by God. The Spirit teaches us. He leads us to all knowledge. Knowledge of, like relational knowledge of the essential nature of God. The Holy Spirit leads us to all this. Therefore, we, the church, we have the mind of Christ. Our thinking is different from the thinking of the world. And the way we do things and the way that we live and the way that we speak is simply different and the world does not understand understand it at all. Um, So that's it. Brothers and sisters, the challenge this morning. Invest in the knowledge that is imperishable. Knowledge about God. Leading us to a deeper relational knowledge of who God is. And may we all be completed. So in the day of our Lord, He might say, Well done, good and faithful servant. 